So, uh, first off, congratulations last night, whatever. Moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Come on um, now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you've been waiting, Braden, a long time for this. A yeah. long time. And I know this because I hate the Dodgers. Um, and it brings me – October is typically a great month of the year for me because either uh, in the past 10 years – my team, the Giants, are winning, or your team is losing in a phenomenal fashion. Uh, every single year of this past decade, you're right. Yeah, every Literally. single year, it's whether it was Matt Adams taking you, <laughs> coming from wherever. He, probably, Matt, he did his homework. Wherever Matt Adams was <laughs> uh, before 2014 to come off uh, the bench and just take Kershaw deep a bunch of times to uh, Howie Kendrick last year. You yeah. got robbed in 2017. Um, yeah, I could go through the entire list. of. You don't need to, but you know, we're fine. It doesn't matter anymore because today is the day after one of the greatest days of your life. The Dodgers are world series champs. Brayden, how do you feel? Oh, I I could listen to you say that last part. You don't need to say that whole first part anymore, but I could (laughs) listen to that last sentence like eight times. I'll just play it on loop. Um, dude, I feel great. Um, and I, I almost feel like even though it's, and you might be able to answer this as well, being a Giants fan. You were younger when the first one happened, but I feel like the first one's always the most special. Yeah. And even more so because of everything you just described, all of the, the terrible things that have happened over the course of the past decade and, and always being competitive. And I said this so many times before last night, I still would have claimed it three days ago, that it's better to be a fan of a team like the Diamondbacks or the Rangers or the Twins and just not – always be there and sometimes be mediocre or just flat out bad but not have to deal with the heartbreak it's almost better to be that than the dodgers because of every single year you said you loved october it was my least favorite month of the year and i absolutely hated it and it did absolute real havoc on my health mentally but again all of it is gone and today is a beautiful day that's the sun is shining brighter the the sky is more blue the birds are singing louder it's a beautiful day and you know it's just it's awesome. And I, I don't want to go too far off here and, and answer questions before you ask them, but just seeing Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. You know, I think whether you're a Giants fan, a D-backs fan, a, a Yankees fan, it's hard for me, and I'm obviously biased, to think that you couldn't be happy for someone like that after the career he's had and, and what a good stand-up guy he is and, and all of those things and everything he's dealt with adversity wise and the narrative and, and it absolutely was fair, but for him to come through finally, as he's coming down a bit on his career, definitely past his prime. I mean, that was more than anything. That's what got me last night is seeing his reaction, seeing him run in. And that's something I'll definitely never forget is seeing, you know, Clayton finally get his first string. And that's just, it's just awesome. I, and I was going to say, because that was the one part I texted you about that last night as a giants fan, uh, I don't obviously like to see the Dodgers win, but this year kind of felt like I was sitting in uh, a rowboat and there just kept being holes poked in that boat every year. And there would be another team coming through to, to plug the hole. And I would survive another year having three titles in my lifetime to Dodgers fans zero. And this year just felt like the year I was like, it's, we're running out of time to stop these guys. Um, and, and the second thing is when we got to the postseason, I thought, okay, 
this is going to be really funny if the Dodgers lose to the Braves in five here. <laughs> um, but, but ultimately, I don't know how many years Clayton Kershaw had left as Clayton yeah. Kershaw. It, it would have been um, just the, the old, washed-up Clayton Kershaw coming in two innings of relief if it was many more years down, down the line. And honestly, as a Giants fan, Braden, he has just destroyed us. I mean, I could name five. Uh, he's up there with Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado of guys that just come into AT&T and just do their business and get out of there. Um, and so that was really great to see. And um, I got to ask, there's been a lot of, you know, I, I know that it, it sucked the past couple of years to have your team lose, but last night has to be the happiest moment for you as a Dodgers fan, right? As a sports fan, yeah. um, period. I you know, we're all big sports guys, but the Dodgers are just another level for me. I think baseball has that ability to kind of be romantic in a sense, because first off the season's so long, not this year, but, but normally the season's so long. And, and if you're a real big fan, you're following them every single day. Whereas a football, you get 16 Sundays. If it's a basketball, it's hard to keep track of all 82 games and it's, it's more spread out. It's just different in baseball. Yeah. It's just a different feeling, and, and you agree with that. So when – we'll go back to Kershaw. When, when you see Kershaw struggle, it's different than seeing a, you know, Russell Wilson throw an interception or a Larry Fitzgerald drop a pass. It's, it's a different feeling, at least for me. It, it, like, genuinely hurts your heart to see a baseball player and your baseball team um, let you down. So – to get back to your question, like totally the best day of my sporting life, because this is the one I was waiting for for years and any other team of mine, you know, if ASU were to win a Rose bowl, it'd be close, but this is the one I've been waiting for forever. And it's like what I said earlier, it's like every single year since 2013, basically I've, I've thought this could be the year. And there's been trends like didn't really expect it like a 2018 or 2015, but then there was 20, 19 last year or 2017 where I definitely thought it was so for it to finally happen in a pandemic year with so many odd things going on in the world and you know even madness last night it, it's refreshing to see something good finally happen for the Dodger organization even though it was almost marred in the national spotlight today with with the whole Justin Turner deal but yeah man I mean just pure happiness absolutely I do want to bring that up because obviously a lot of people are going to say, just like with the Lakers, mm -hmm. uh, shortened season, pandemic year, there's an asterisk. Um, and I'll actually take up the mantle for you and say, it's been interesting to me that in a pandemic year, we could go back through the list of baseball and go, there are so many fluky World Series. I mean, yeah. the Marlins, both times the Marlins won. Um, a lot of one-offs, like when the Mets made the World Series a couple years ago. The 2010 Giants. 2010. But the, I would say the 2010 Giants were the only team that I really actually felt like maybe the 2012 Giants. 2014 Giants had that was, yeah. no business being there. We were the road wildcard team. <laughs> it was a single man's World Series, and the trophy should only reside in the home of Madison Bumgarner true. and nobody else. That is but, true. But – it's so fascinating to me that in a shortened season with the NBA and the bubble, a shortened season with baseball, they end up in kind of their own little bubble at a globe life park in Texas that really and truly the best teams won this year. 
Is it is it interesting to you that when injuries kind of don't come into play, which seems to be the great equalizer, that really and truly we get more good teams winning? I'll take it a step further. Hockey, the Lightning, yeah. they couldn't get the cup forever. They're probably the most talented roster. They get it in their bubble. WNBA, Seattle, yeah, they might be the most talented roster. They get it in their bubble. So it, it does kind of seem like the talent rises to the top when you're in a bubble. You're dealing with so many different things. You, you have so many other distractions, perhaps. And yeah, it was interesting to me. And the one thing I'll, I'll say about the whole asterisk deal, well, two things. One, I totally get it if you're a opposing fan and you want to say that and you hate the Dodgers because it's like you have to. But we can all admit that if your team would have won, you would not be saying that. And you would absolutely defend everything to say it's legit. We all know this. The second thing to me is, in the Dodgers case, if you're making the asterisk argument, that can only be valid if a team like, let's say the Cardinals would have won. Sure. Or, or the Brewers somehow. Or... or with the weird playoff format, it's like you're acting as if the Dodgers would have been a sub 500 team in 162. Games. Like they would have been there. They still had Mookie Betts. Right. They still finally had a bullpen. Um, so that that's another reason. I'm just like, I get why you have to say it, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's tired for me, but of course I'm biased. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been there as a Warriors fan. All three yeah. of uh, our championships are called into question. Um, and so ultimately when you're a fan of the team, you got to defend them, uh, got it. for all the struggles, the past seven years to yeah. get to this level, what do you think was different? I mean, this is relatively the same roster outside of Mookie Betts. And, and that's, so, is he the big difference this year? That's a huge difference. Obviously I would say easily the second best player in baseball and, and probably a little closer to Mike Trout now than what people would have said before the season. Um, but I think even more than Mookie, because outside of some amazing defensive plays and, and he came up with a clutch home run last night and a, and a double late in that game, he didn't hit all that well in the world series for the most part. He wasn't outstanding with his bat. He was obviously still great base running. He was obviously still an impact player defensively. One of the best right fielders I've ever seen uh, with my eyes, at least, but I think even more so, and we, we saw it last night, the bullpen. Because if you think back, and, and you probably know just as good as I, because you, you take pride in watching the Dodgers lose. <laughs> a do. lot of the Clayton Kershaw struggles happened either on short rest or him coming out of the bullpen. Last yes. year against the Nationals, coming out of the bullpen. Those Cardinals meltdowns, short rest. It's because it was basically for a while there, Clayton Kershaw and try to bridge the gap to Kenley Jansen when he was dominant. And there was no one in between. This year, from the get-go, you had a bullpen that you could rely on several different arms, whether it was Blake Trinan, a great signing, Bruce Dargraterol, who the Red Sox didn't want, Victor Gonzalez, a guy no one had ever heard of before the season. And then you have a guy like Julio Urias coming out and pitching three dominant innings out of the pen. You have an Alex Wood who, you know, really popped up out of nowhere in, in game six. That's might be the difference for me just purely based in the postseason because there's no doubt this team always had the ability to win in the regular season. They did it every single year. But I think if you look back at the struggles beforehand, the big difference was they didn't have a whole stable of guys who could go get them meaningful outs. 
whether it was the sixth inning, the fifth inning, heck, the third inning last night. Now you did. And I, I think that was the biggest difference. And I would argue that's probably one of the biggest factors you need in order to win a World Series is, is a full bullpen, not just yeah. one or two dominant guys. You need six or seven guys that you can rely on in any spot. And that's a very good point because it felt like the Dodgers in playoff runs past great start to the game. They mm-hmm. would get a little bit of a lead. And then either the starting pitcher would hit the third time through the lineup, which as we know in baseball, that's kind of when they start to get hit around a little bit because a you're fatiguing and B everyone's seen your stuff twice. It felt like innings four through eight. That's when you could get on the Dodgers. Because everybody knew that when Kenley Jansen, when he was the dominant closer in baseball, which he has been for much of the past decade, he was going to shut things down. But innings four through eight, that's where the Dodgers were in trouble. And that's where it felt like for the Rays, who were supposedly going to have this bullpen advantage in this World Series, they didn't really have it. It ended up being with the Dodgers. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny you bring that part up because the Rays definitely do have a good bullpen. But if you, if you looked at the bullpen numbers – ERA-wise ERA and, and strikeout-wise and innings pitch-wise, going into the series, the Dodgers were actually better in every category. Now, narrative-wise, you're trying to sell the World Series. You're trying to make it a fun matchup. The Rays don't have the offense of the Dodgers. Yes. They probably had the better starting rotation. And if the Dodgers have the better bullpen, too, how are you going to sell that series? So you had to sell the bullpen of the Rays being great, and they are. Um but really it wasn't that big of an advantage if you actually looked a little deeper. So yeah, that, that, the bullpens are just key, man. And, and the biggest thing for me is you can have a great bullpen, but an offense like the Dodgers, you see them three, four times, they're going to get to you. So like yeah. with, with Anderson last night, there was no doubt in my mind that, that the top of the Dodger lineup, what a dumb move for Kevin Cash, by the way, but the top of the lineup was going to succeed because they'd seen Anderson like three or four times already. So that's the difference maker is, is when you have a lineup that you can rely on, you start to see these guys later in series, it's game over. There was a ASU former ASU golfer uh, that went a long time in his career without winning a major championship. Then he got one. Then he rolled off a series of majors after that, that, that guy was Phil Mickelson. Mm Mm-hmm. This kind of feels like a Phil Mickelson situation to me where the Dodgers went so long without winning a title. And now that they know how to win the title, it kind of has that feeling like for the rest of baseball, you know, uh Oh, <laughs> we got to stop these guys. I, I mean, what's the window for the Dodgers going forward? Well, if you just look at the core outside of Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen and Justin Turner for that matter, you look at the core of players, Cody Bellinger, very young, already an MVP. Mookie Betts is there for 12 years. Yep. Corey Seager, young, he's going to be a free agent. I would expect the Dodgers are going to pay him whatever he wants after that postseason. Will Smith, young. Uh, Pitching-wise, Julio Arias, extremely young. Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, uh, Bruce Dargratterall. And then you have young, they still have a top five farm system. So if you, if you look at their, and, and the financial depth, I, I know you're, you're rolling your eyes and shaking your head, but when you think about it that way, I mean, it's hard to say when the window closes, but it's like that for big market teams in the MLB. I mean, you can mm-hmm. make an argument like that for the Yankees and, and mm-hmm. not right now with the Red Sox, but they'll be back soon. 
the Giants are going to get there again. I, I think Zaidi will do a great job. He's he's an extremely smart general or uh, executive. So like it's not that, that the Dodgers are the only team like that, but they are set up extremely well, and you're already seeing how they're turning people over. Every single game in the postseason that was started by a Dodger was by a draft pick by the Dodgers. They were all homegrown talent. Every single starting pitcher in the playoffs. That says a lot about what the organization does. And, and I'm bragging way too much here. But, you know, it, the window could be open for a while. It's hard to say, but a lot of young talent. People, I, I heard Alex Rodriguez say, I think it was before game six, the NLCS. I don't know what your feelings on A-Rod as an analyst are. But he said, the Dodgers need to win this year because their window is closing. I said, are, are you watching baseball? I, I, I don't know about that one. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're young and they're talented. And anything can happen in baseball and people can leave or, or regress. And, but it looks like they're going to be good for a while. As long as the core is there, the Dodgers, to me, seem like – and you're a baseball historian. Um, they seem like the 90s and mid-2000s Braves. Mm. just that run where it was the backbone was the starting pitching and maybe on the flip side it seems to me a little more like the offense for the Dodgers than the starting pitching uh, it's been more of a, a rotational door for the Dodgers but now that they have these guys in and it was the same thing with the Yankees in the 90s you know yeah. it, the Yankees yep. went through the 80s and the early 90s spending all they could on guys who were at the back end of their career and then the Yankees go on this dominant five-year run where they win four world titles. And who did it? A bunch of guys through their farm system. Right. Jeter, Rivera, Pettit, Posada, right? And now you have the Dodgers. They have Bellinger, you know, Seager. They still Bueller. have yep. Bueller, Jock Peterson, people like that. And so now that it's, it's homegrown, the Dodgers have gone from that team that was at the trade deadline was grasping for the next – contract to hold on to or the next you know Hanley Ramirez basically that I just described Hanley Ramirez as that guy for the Dodgers um mm -hmm. and now that it's homegrown you know obviously for me as a Giants fan I'm like I cannot believe first off I can't believe the same process repeats itself every year for the Dodgers start off great team make a great move at the trade deadline and get a great player then we all await the next big call up <laughs> Chris Taylor, the Max Muncy. Yeah. Just like what, where are these guys coming from? Like they've been so good for so long. How do they still call up Damn. Bellinger? How do they still call up Seager? How do they still have guys to trade the Red Sox out of their farm system? And I, I mean, obviously you got to give the front office their credit because yeah. this is the deepest team in baseball has been for 10 years. Yeah, Andrew Friedman, now that he has a ring, has to be regarded as one of the best executives, not just in baseball, but I think in all of sports. And, and the reason to me why he's so good, he's, he's a Tampa guy through and through. So he believes in their process. He believes in the analytics. And, and the fact that Tampa made the World Series at all, at all shows just how brilliant they are with their lack of money, frankly. Um, so he uses that same system, but he does have the money to keep players when, when they find them so that it just makes it really difficult because it's it's a big brain trust and the money yeah. um it's a tough combination i want to ask about blake snell getting pulled because <laughs> i want to get your reaction on that was that another loss for analytics last night so i'm a big analytics guy 
Okay. Um, I don't think we've ever talked about this. One of my fa- I'm, I'm a huge MLB Network guy. Okay. I love MLB Now with Brian okay. Kenny, and he great show. Great show. He takes analytics maybe a little too far, but I'm a big believer in analytics. Okay. And <laughs> the Dodgers are as well, and we've seen it backfire before. I don't even want to say that was analytics last night. I mean, I'm sure the numbers maybe suggested that, but if you just looked at the actual numbers, the 0 for 6 was six strikeouts for the first three hitters. 0 for 8 was seven strikeouts for the first four hitters in the Dodger lineup. All very good hitters, by the way. I mean, sure, technically we'll call it analytics, but I know it's recency bias. That has to be the worst managerial call even before the Dodgers scored I said this is going to come back to bite them because the Dodgers were the only team in the big leagues this year not to get shut out I knew they weren't going to get shut out even if you left Snell in for eight but at least the bullpen only would have had to close down two Mm -hmm. instead of four so regardless if the Dodgers would have scored that inning or not I knew it was a huge mistake when you score right away it looks even worse but I can't think of a and this includes my man Dave Roberts I can't think of a worse playoff managerial decision um off the top of my head at least i'd have to do more research but the guy was dominant i mean yeah game two his stuff was talking to a different Rays fan of mine my my best friend actually uh joe joe mcclatchy who i lived with um diehard Rays fan he he texted me after game two and said that was the best i've seen him since his cy young year i thought last night in game six he looked even better than he did in game two Pitch count, I think, what, 72 pitches or something like that? When they pulled him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just nothing. And I get the whole third time around the order. But, man, he was dominant. And, and like, it wasn't just that the Dodger hitters were striking out. It, they weren't even putting up competitive at-bats. So, I was shocked. I think through four innings, what I had heard from the radio broadcast with Dan Schulman was that there was only one ball hit to the outfield through five innings. And – I'm thinking about, I know that, you know, the, the numbers say this and, and you got to rely on the bullpen and, you know, bullpens win you games late in World Series. I get that. But I just, and I understand that the Dodgers had their next four great hitters coming up, but where is the decision-making from Kevin Cash to think, I got to take this guy out of the game? That, that had to have been the shortest leash I've seen a, peach, a pitcher get in a World Series game before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, the leash looked like it would have been to a guy that gave up six runs in his last start and, and yeah. already has two runners on early and the game's teetering. Maybe you're down a couple runs already. Can't let it get out of hand. Pitching through an injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't seem like a game where you're up one nothing and the guy was dominant in his first start in the series and then was basically unhittable. It was insane. My, I've seen this float around social media. And by the way, social media is just toxic. I think the most toxic after a manager makes a mistake in October yeah. out of any sport, managers just get destroyed because it's such a painful, long process when a manager makes a decision and it backfires in baseball. But I've seen this tossed around, and I don't even think this is you know overreacting. I don't know if you're Blake Snell, how you don't let this haunt you as a Ray. Like, how... How do you sit there and look at Kevin Cash, who I think is a, a fine manager? Uh, how do you look at him and say, well, he just made the bad call, but I'll still stay here in Tampa? Like, I don't, I don't see how that happens. I, I really don't. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, again, that's a good point because uh, I was listening to KMBR, which is the Bay Area's radio station. And um, Dwayne Kuyper, who we know is the uh, Giants play-by-play broadcaster, was on and he was talking about how, you know, Blake Snell and Kruko was also on. Um, He was talking about if if I'm Blake Snell, I got to put up more of a fight up there and say, yeah, look, I understand, you know, what, what the numbers say, but, but I'm dealing right now. And there's one run between us and the end of our season, you know, unless you think that the bullpen's going to come in and pitch better than I'm pitching because I'm pitching the best game of my life right now. (laughs) Like I just, I don't understand the thinking And, and you say it's very toxic on social media. They're tearing Kevin Cash to shreds. Drive time radio is going to tear him to shreds. Personally, I, I feel bad for Kevin Cash. Um, but, you know, you also understand this as a Dodgers fan. I mean, Dave Roberts has been raked over the coals the past couple of years for decisions that he's made. So I want to ask kind of like to tie the bow on this World Series. Dave Roberts, does he redeem himself last night? Does he Is he no longer seen as the guy that's kind of fumbled away a bunch of World Series? Or when his time in L.A. is over, and I know this is a long-winded question, but when his time is over, are you going to look back on his Dodgers fan and go, man, he was – you know, great decision in 2020, but you know, we were a couple more away from like four, you know? Well, I think, I think that'll ultimately, like we talked about a couple questions ago, what they do now, do they continue winning a couple here and there, or is this the only one? Because yeah. if it is, then I think your legacy question might be fair, but I mean, he needs, he needs to get some credit. He managed the hell out of that game yesterday because Tony Gonsolin, who had a very good regular season or uh, regular season in the starting staff, had a tough role in the postseason. Never was really sure when he was coming in. wasn't used to coming out of the bullpen, and it was clear he he wasn't comfortable in the postseason. He's young. He's a young pitcher, so he didn't last long. Dave Roberts had to piece together basically eight innings of that game, and it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. He he pulled all the right strings and. <laughs> Another thing that I hate about managerial criticism, and absolutely some of it is fair, but it's not the manager executing the pitches. You know, he's pull, he's putting the guys in that that have shown that they can do it in the past, but baseball is one of those games that you might just not have it. Your, your slider just might not work that day. It might it might hang, you know, and yeah. and then it falls all on the manager. But luckily for Dave, everyone that came out of that pen last night was insane. They struck out 16 hitters. Uh, I mean, it was filthy. Yeah. So you know, Dave looks like a genius last night and we can say he managed the hell, hell out of the game, which he did. But if Floro comes into the game right after Gonsolin and gives up a, a two run Jack, then he looks like a goat, you know? So <laughs> it's such a fine line. So to answer your question, I think, I think Dave Roberts gets a lot of criticism and I'll compare it to Steve Kerr. Sure. You know, people saying it's an easy job. The, the roster's insane, but you have to balance so many different personalities, especially in baseball. Yeah. And so many superstars on that roster. And he, I think he does a masterful job of it, you know, winning all of those games and now finally getting through in the big moment. But it's not an easy job, man. <laughs> it's not an easy job managing any baseball team, but especially when you're in the postseason year after year after year. And I think most managers, if you were in that position, you're not going to be perfect. You know, you're going to, you're going to put a couple guys in that are going to fall on their faces and, and you're going to get blamed for it right or wrong. That's just the way it is. So I know long answer, but I, I think Dave, 
it's going to be interesting to see what his legacy is. And I hope it, I hope it's a good one uh, because he's, he's a great guy. He's very well respected within the clubhouse. It appears and, you know, deals with a lot, like I said, and now he has a ring finally, which is, which is awesome. I guess his second, cause he, he got one with the Red Sox in 04. Red Sox in 04. Yeah. And, and you bring up a fantastic point about managing the personalities because yeah. there's, so many in the Dodger clubhouse. And then it seems like every year they add more egos, more people to balance. And I don't think Don Mattingly could have done what Dave Roberts has done this season. So who is the first phone call transitioning? Who's the first phone call you made last night? First phone call um, was actually a FaceTime, a group FaceTime. Uh, so I was, I was talking with my parents and, and family group chat the whole night. It wasn't to them, surprisingly enough. It was to two fellow ASU guys, two Cronkite guys as well. Uh, Zach Pacale, who for no reason, he's from Long Island, New York, but is a huge Charger and Dodger fan. Okay. But then throw in, he likes the Knicks. So Wow, okay. Makes no sense. Love him to death. But he is a dedicated Dodger fan. And, and he, I'm weird during postseason baseball. I won't talk to a lot of people during Dodger games because I'm afraid, bad, bad luck, I'm superstitious. Yeah. But I talked to Pakale basically every game throughout. Um, and then the other was Eliav Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Born and raised in LA. Makes sense why he's a Dodger fan. So group FaceTime. And you'll love this. We were on the FaceTime, all excited. Everything's great. And then they come back from commercial and Kevin Burkhardt says, Justin Turner has COVID. And all of us, you could literally jaw dropped. All of us. And we we're just quiet for a second. And then we like waited five seconds of like eerie silence. And then it was like, okay, anyways. Yeah. Like this is great. (laughs) So we jumped back in and so that was the first phone call, but yeah, it was, it was awesome. We've got a whole bunch of texts and you know, from even, from even giants fans Rob Warner reached out and said, you know, not all Dodger fans deserve this, but you do. And and that was, that was nice. That was good. And so, yeah, it's funny when like we take it serious because we're sports journalism guys, but I always do kind of think it's funny and I do this too. And like other people's favorite teams win titles, you text them like, congratulations. Like all I did last night is I, I had a hamburger. I sat on my sofa and prayed a few times. I, yeah. I don't really deserve congratulations. Sure. I've been heartbroken a lot, but they really don't. None of the Dodgers know who I am. So whatever, like Clayton Kershaw doesn't know me. So yeah. I, I appreciate the congratulations and it's very nice and I'm not taking it for granted at all, but I do think that's funny when I, you know, when you text a buddy, congratulations, it's like, well, uh, you know, congratulations yeah. for picking a good team as a, as a kid. I don't know. You didn't do it. It wasn't no. you pitching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't hit a home run in the eighth, like whatever. So, but you know, I, the way that superstitions work, because I think every play by play guy is a superstitious person internally um i have what for when michigan football plays i have like a, a jillion superstitions okay what are some of them um there's a there's a sofa on my couch at home that i need to be sitting on um but it's different based on the opponent so i'll recline when we're playing penn state but michigan state i need to be on the edge of the seat i love this oh, this is how stupid it gets and how like, <laughs> very down to the minute detail um and I'll, you know, if something works, I'll try it again. If it doesn't, um, you know, same thing. Like when I golf, I always need oh, yeah. the logo up instead of the name. 
name up, I'm missing that putt. Doesn't matter. Could be two two inches. Uh, logo up, yeah. So so when the transition, when you moved to college, you didn't have your sofa, obviously. So what was Michigan's record your freshman year? Uh, they were ten and two. Um, and so what does that what does that say? We were really rolling with uh, the blue futon in the Taylor Place oh. dorms. And so I was really comfortable going into that Ohio State game. I was saying, here we go, blue futon, we're going we're to take this one. And they ran up and down the field against us. And so, you know, the thing is, like, being from the Bay Area, I've had a lot of happiness in my life uh, as a fan of Bay Area teams. But I tell people it is all evened out by being a Michigan sports fan uh, <laughs> because – we will find the most creative ways to lose games, whether it's dropping a punt and handing it, literally handing it into the hands of an opponent or uh, the 2016 double overtime game. So numerous basketball collapses. Yeah. Uh, So we've been there. But would you rather be a Michigan fan and have your, this goes back to what I said earlier, have your team be relevant, a Michigan fan, or be a Northwestern fan? No, never, never could be a Northwestern. Right. So at least you're still relevant. That's right. No. And the truth is, is like, I I've been there with kind of sort of as a 49er fan uh, in years that we've gone to the NFC title game and lost and years that we've gone to the Super Bowl and lost. And it does suck to like get all the way there. And sometimes you wish like, it'd be nice if we could just go eight and eight and, Mm -hmm. you know, high five for wins because as a Warriors fan and as a Dodgers fan, you get this. When you're expected to win, it almost takes the joy out of winning. You know, it takes the joy out of the little things because you win a series and you're like, oh, we swept the Giants. And people are like, who cares? You're supposed to do that. You know, and the Warriors would win 65 games and no one was celebrating, you know, because without a title, it doesn't matter. It's funny you mentioned that because I had an hour-long conversation um, on the eve of the first playoff game this year. Uh, before before the Brewers series, the wildcard series, which is a total joke, by the way. But hour-long conversation with, with Rob Warner, who is the biggest Giants fan I know to an unhealthy level um, in 2016. So the first year of really being a down year to the point where he would be watching Giants Phillies when the Phillies were awful on his phone in class. And it's like mid-August and the Giants are – 30 games out of first I'm, I'm like why that. are you doing this I love yeah that. but I, anyways the point is he's a huge Giants fan and I was talking to him and I said exactly what you just said I said I feel like if the Dodgers ever win at all because I'd always use if if the Dodgers ever win at all I don't even know if I'll feel joy I'll feel relief is that what I, you feel I can say that I was wrong it was okay. absolute joy and I'm happy it was because I I was a bit worried I won't lie just as a fan you know, being through everything we've been through, but then having such a dominant team this year, it's like relief. Oh, thank God we didn't blow this again. It wasn't like that. Um, so I'm really happy. Maybe after one now, it'll be more of a relief. You'd yeah. be able to tell me with the Warriors, what's that like a little bit more? But yeah, it's it's really interesting being the favorite. Everyone always wants to be the favorite, but it's it's a lot. It's a lot. A so. lot of expectations. What was the uh, – your entire family, they're Dodgers fans, right? Yeah. It's all Dodger blue uh, in the Bell family. What was – can you remember the first Dodger game you went to? Absolutely. Ted Lilly was on the mound for the Dodgers. and, oh, and the Frank. What a throwback. Oh, yeah. In the Frank McCourt era, 
Um, there was nobody there. And the Dodgers lost to the Atlanta Braves. Okay. I can't remember the score, but I do remember Ted Lilly was on the mound. Um, that was my first game. And another reason I was so happy, and I tweeted this out last night, was that Vin Scully is still alive to see it. Yeah. He tweeted after the game all the years the Dodgers have won the World Series, um, since the 1950s at least. He's been alive for all of them, which is just remarkable. And honestly, Jack, like one of the biggest reasons why I am such a big Dodger fan and also why I went into play-by-play broadcasting has been growing yeah. up listening to him. Um, in my opinion, at least the best ever do it. Got the shirt on right now. Beautiful. Um, I, I mean, that almost gets me emotional in itself. His last home game at Dodger Stadium back in 2016, it was a, a walk-off home run by Charlie Culberson, of all people, to – to clinch a division title. Former Giant prospect, Charlie Culberson. I mean, he I love Charlie Culberson forever. But, I mean, the fact that, that Vin's still alive to see this was just another cool aspect. But to round things and, and put a bow on everything, Vin was one of my biggest reasons why I think the Dodgers are my number one of all sports teams is just mm-hmm. listening to him and the poetry artwork form of broadcasting, how he used the English language to perfection, essentially, Yeah, you know, night after night, after night, after night alone. It's yeah. just insane to me. The beautiful thing uh, about Vin Scully uh, that, you know, whenever Vin, Vin had a very old fashioned way of broadcasting. He mm-hmm. would be the orator. He wasn't the broadcaster. He was the orator. He would tell stories the game would come second. You would basically be watching the game with Vin. That was the feeling that you got. Always, I love this because there's a video out there. Every time Vin Scully would be telling a story, nothing would happen. There'd be 10 foul balls or, you know, a 14 pitch at bat or a giant lawn ass mound visit. You know, there would never be a a four, six, three double play to end the inning and to cut Vin off. And, And I just felt like, there was a moment last night where Joe Buck was paying tribute to Vince Scully, and it seemed like that old kind of Vin magic was back because the game could have been over at any second. And Joe got through the entire tribute to Vince Scully, and it was great that the team won for Vin. Yeah, totally agree. You're, it's funny you bring that up because I always used to think that same thing. And some of my favorite Vin calls were, first off, not even really calls. Like it wasn't a walk-off homer or a double. And a lot of the time it was just, like you said, his stories, but his best moments, in my opinion, 4th of July, always Memorial day, always veterans day. If they were playing around that time, I mean, any sort of holiday and I just named all the patriotic holidays, but any sort of holiday, I mean, because he is so old, he just has so many cool stories about, and he would incorporate non-baseball things into the broadcast. Like, That sort of thing for me, I think maybe even guided me into, into how I like to do it when I call baseball, at least. Baseball is one of those games that, especially if you're, if you're watching on TV, you can see what's happening. It's a little slower paced. You need to entertain. You need to keep people's focus if it's just a regular season game. Mm-hmm. And I think he just did that flawlessly. Always. Like, you could be half paying attention, and he'll say something, and you'll look up real quick, and then he hold you there for half an inning. And then you're like, Oh, I don't even remember what I was doing. So yeah, I, I, I think that style, I don't know if anyone else can ever do it. Yeah. Not just because they're not Vin, but I don't know if 
that style can ever be done again alone first off and and it doesn't fit social media like you couldn't clip a vin call really into yeah. a into a little bit like they're they're long drawn out well put together like for those of you listening now and again i'm rambling i am sorry but in my opinion the greatest half of inning ever called in baseball and, and maybe one of the best long uh long full calls in all of sports is the bottom of the ninth or top of the ninth excuse me sandy koufax's perfect game yep i know i was talking about yeah i it's on youtube you can listen to the full half inning but i have a book about vin and it has word for word that whole half inning and reading it what he said the whole half inning it's insane like it's it's dumb how perfectly every single word and you know it like you're gonna slip up every once in a while doing play-by-play because you're talking a lot Mm -hmm. he was perfect every single word and everything he said is just in that inning especially blew my mind and it still blows my mind to this day just how he does it what was that what was the quote there's the great quote from that half inning where he says something to the effect of the loneliest spot in the world right yep. now is the pitcher's mound at Dodger Stadium or, or the pitcher spot occupied by Sandy Koufax. Yep. It, yeah, it's, it's essentially that. And then, of course, the, the line where he – and I think this is a really cool little detail too. Back in those times, he wanted the, the detail to be as vivid as possible for Sandy. So he said the time, the attendance, the weather right before the 2-2 two and two to Harvey Keen, which was the, was the final out in that game. Um, I mean, just nails. That, that's perfection as far as a broadcast goes. Growing up in LA, and I think I know the answer to this question, did Vince Scully inspire you to become a play-by-play broadcaster? No doubt. No doubt. And I mean, it's like I said earlier, no one's ever going to be Vin again. And it's like an impossible thing to strive for. But just like the way he can captivate they're the way he captivated me as, as a young sports fan. And it wasn't even really about the Dodgers at the time when I really started paying attention. Like I liked the Dodgers, but it was more of just like the way, like I said a second ago, like I could be playing with toys or doing whatever. And then I'd just look up and listen. And I wasn't even really caring what was going on in the game. It was just the power and the effect that a good broadcaster, and there are plenty of good ones now out there, that can draw you into an event, a game, a moment that you might not really care about. You might not be a fan of the teams or know the backstory, but they can draw you in for that moment. I think Vin did that better than almost anyone. And like I said, there are great ones right now that can do that as well. I just love the fact that you're narrating history. Yeah. It could be a Mac Tuesday night game, Tuesday night action. Or it could be, you know, double-A baseball, whatever. You never know in sports when something insane is going to happen. And as the play-by-play guy, you have the chance to narrate history. Mm -hmm. Is it going to happen? Most likely, odds say no. But you have that opportunity, and you can't fake play-by-play. It's obviously not scripted. You can't fake it. You can't guess what's going to happen so it's your natural reaction and to know that your voice and your natural reaction to whatever moment it is can be connected to it forever is so cool to me 
Yeah. Braden, I'm so glad you're on this podcast because I've been wanting to ask a play-by-play guy this question. When I see a big play, my initial thought is, wow, that's a great play. But my second thought is, and this is the mind of a play-by-play broadcaster, I want to know if you do this too. I back the play up, have to watch the play, but have to listen to the call again. Do you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's funny you do that as well. And especially if it's, if it's a Dodger game or, or maybe for you for a Giants or a Warriors game, because I'm like yelling and happy as the play happens. Yeah. I'm not really listening. Like Joe Buck's call last night. I didn't know what he said at all. So I had to go back and watch it later. But yeah, I definitely do that. And I think naturally, at least for me, I could be watching whatever game. And if I hear it could be one line, like let's say the way Al Michaels describes an out route that was caught by Brandon Ayuk for nine yards. I could like one way that he described the word out or tackle or whatever. And I'll like put that in the back of my mind and remember that. So yeah, you just draw inspiration from so many different other areas. Um, But yeah, I I definitely do that. Absolutely. And I think the reason that, we do that is because when there's a big moment there is you know obviously the play on the field is fantastic but for me it comes from a place of both excitement because there's an an amazing play this historic play that's going to be remembered but b it comes from a place of fear because you Mm -hmm. don't want to mess up the great play you don't want to stumble over your words like i think about it in plays like uh al michaels calling malcolm butler's interception or, you know, you know that Vince Scully's going to nail uh, Kirk Gibson's 88 home run. Um, but even the, uh, the use of Joe Buck, David Freeze home run, yeah. we will see you tomorrow night, which was, I don't think a lot of people know this, but a, a tribute to his father who used that uh, for Kirby Puckett's home run in the 90s. Um, and the thought to me is I, I always kind of keep those in the back of my mind because I think when you have a big play, you as a broadcaster always desire to kind of rise to the occasion and you want to, you always want to add, you never want to subtract from that moment, you know, because it's going to be watched time and time again for the coming decades. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's another Venism, but it's, it's not just Ben that does it up this obviously. And I think actually Joe Buck did a great job of this um, after game four of this year's world series, the insane ending with Randy Rosarena scoring silence is the best friend. Yep. in a big time call and, and Joe Buck after the run scored there to win the game for the Rays, he said, Phillips is the hero mm-hmm. in game four. And then he was silent. And I thought that was off. I mean, the call itself was awesome. Like, I just think that's the coolest. That's like the goosebumps moment. And even though it wasn't a full house and everything, but you, you mentioned the big call and the fear I think of one moment in particular, and and you probably don't even remember this. And since I'm a broadcast weirdo, I do. But unless you're a fan of Stanford, you probably don't remember it. So are you a Stanford guy? Well, I'm a Bay Area guy. Yeah. Okay. So you might remember this. So USC's ranked number one. Mm -hmm. And John Harbaugh leads Stanford in a young Stanford team. They were like four touchdown underdogs. It's when Stanford was not good. I remember this game. Starting a backup quarterback. Yep. It's a throw to the end zone. Stanford wins last second. 
I want you to look up this call on YouTube. I don't know who the broadcaster was. I feel awful for him. Stanford scores, obviously, to go ahead. The broadcaster says, touchdown USC. Oh, no. And then it's quiet for like five seconds. And then he says, Stanford. And I, <laughs> it brings me pain every time I hear that. I'm hurting right now. Oh, yeah. You need to look it up, man. Cause oh, no. It's, it's, or you play it on this podcast. It's bad. Fourth and goal from the 10. Pritchard, straight drop, goes to the fade to the other side. Bradford, touchdown, USC! Stanford, touchdown, Stanford, my goodness! Really quick, was it the Stanford radio call or was it the versus call? It was the versus. I'm so impressed you knew it was on versus too. Love you for that. You remember versus? Come on now. Everybody versus, versus baby. It's a great network. Mountain West football, some late night Pac-10. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep, the late night Pac-10 on versus. That was the soundtrack to my childhood, Brayden. The, uh, the we NHL were weird kids. The, we are. The NHL All-Star Game used to be on versus. So many random things were on versus. They had IndyCar racing. Tour de France. Tour de France was on versus. You're yeah. like, where? who is selling the rights to versus? <laughs> um <laughs> And I think, no, it's true because I, I truly think that plays that would not be remembered um, are enhanced by the call or plays that would be remembered are taken away from if the call is ruined. I think about, uh, and I hate to do this to my man, Brian Anderson, because I love Brian Anderson. He's awesome. He had a call last year, Virginia versus Purdue. And it was uh, Diakite's layup to tie the game. And he goes, oh, they could win it here. Diakite, they win, you know? And he goes, and there's a pause. There's the pause that all announcers dread where you're just thinking through your life and you're seeing it flash before your eyes and you're seeing your wife leave and taking the kids with her. (laughs) And and, uh, he goes, for the tie. And I go, oh, no, Brian. <laughs> and that that's the moment is any play-by-play guy that you just – it really pains you. It, it hurts like almost as a physical pain to hear someone do that. Yeah, it's like a fraternity because every other human being watching the game, that game or any other game where there's mistakes, probably like, what an idiot. But we're like, oh, I feel awful. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about him just – you know, the producers like patting him on the back. <laughs> say, it's okay. You know, we still got the elite eight and he's just, oh. um, it, there's been, there's been moments like that. And, and I, I want to ask, uh, what is your favorite call, uh, of, of all time? This is a big question. So I, I set it up pretty casually, but I, I want you to think about it because, um, when we talk about enhancing the call, you know, games that you, you can't separate from the call. I mean, I, I certainly have my few. Um, and one of them is Vince Scully's, you know, uh, Kirk Gibson home run, where I just, I can't think of that play without, you know, she is gone. And then, you know, in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible is happening. Right. And that was just such a way to encapsulate that game and the Dodger season. Okay. So let, let me clarify. You want, you want favorite call that someone else made? That someone else has made, because I'm going to put you in the box and go on outside of Vince Scully. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought you meant call that I made. Okay. Um, I'll ask you that one too. Man, that's a tough one. Yeah. If I can't use Vin, um, I mean, I'm a huge Brian Anderson guy as well, but I also, I also really, really love Mike brain. I think, I mean, it's hard not to, and, and you'll love this one. You could just tell the shock in his voice and the excitement when Steph hit that 
shot against OKC. Oh, yeah. Regular season, I mean, all in all, didn't really matter that much. I mean, it was a historic season for Golden State, um, but it was a regular season game. But that call, the double bang, that call is awesome for me. Now, that's just the first one that came off the top of my head, and I'm sure I can think of other ones that have impacted me more and I've been happier about. But, like, I think it's just awesome when you, like, can hear the, the shock and the excitement. Yeah. Um, and Breen definitely had it for that for that shot. And I think that what's great about the catchphrase, bang, from Breen, which is, in this century, for us growing up, that is the NBA call. Yeah. If your team gets a bang, you're like, wow. We it's a big are, shot. We're, this is a big moment for us. I mean, the Warriors have got their fair share of bangs over the years. <laughs> One I think about when it comes to Breen is – this is exactly what I mean by the call enhancing the play. You know, James puts up a three, won't go, rebound Bosch, back out to Allen, and you can finish it, you know? I mean, yeah, his three that's points, a great moment as well. That's an incredible moment. Um, for me, my favorite call, my, my two favorite calls are, um, there was one Rose Bowl, uh, 06 Rose Bowl, uh, and my personal favorite broadcaster, Keith Jackson, oh, uh, yeah. had just ran a master course in his final game. Uh, and it was the Vince Young touchdown against To him. the corner. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. got it. Um, that one. The other one was uh, Barry Bonds' 756th home run. Um, funny story I'll, I'll tell you really quick. I was at the game before Bonds' 756 home run. No, the pitcher, I forget the pitcher's name, but I hate that guy. The pitcher, you know, he didn't want to be that guy. So they walked bonds all four times that night. I watched Barry take his base. Literally. I think I saw 16 pitches throw to bonds that night. They were all just wastes. And then the very next night he turns around and slaps it. to Oh, and I was seven year old me was crushed. Braden. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, you could have put 23-year-old me in there. I would have been yeah. booing my heart out at that guy. That's terrible. I paid good money to come see this. Yeah, that I sucks. I was, I, was, I was irate. I want to ask, um, since you are, you are um, just starting out, obviously, uh, you work at Cal Baptist. I want to ask you about that right after this question. So, uh, an, an announcer, we know the big guys. We know Nance, Michaels, Tarico. Um, who is somebody that you see in the next 20 years kind of being the next big guy, someone that's going to explode. That's kind of under the radar right now. It's kind of a cheat because he kind of is already there. So I'll, I'll give you a few, but Joe Davis for me, Joe Davis. Yeah. Um, and I've been really lucky to, to kind of get to know Joe a little bit. Um, and he he is just insanely good yeah at at everything um college football great college football and baseball baseball. yeah he's fantastic yeah and i i mean i obviously have no inside scoop on this i don't know if it's true but it looks as though he's going to be the replacement to joe buck at fox you can already kind of see it he did game seven of the nlcs already um he does big time college football like you said i think he is the next top of the top he's an ex nance buck to rico um but as far as like other younger guys i mean there's a ton (laughs) there's so many noah eagles my age and he's the radio voice of the clippers that's unbelievable yeah 
I mean, absurd. And it'd be easy for someone in our industry to be like jealous at that, but he's awesome. I mean, I listen to him when I'm driving home from getting done with a CBU game, I'll turn it on uh, 570 to a Clippers game. And I mean, he sounds just like his dad. He's awesome. So that's a name obviously to keep an eye on and he'll be around for a long time. Adam Amin, I think he's great. Yes. Um, you know, he's, he's entertaining. He's fun. Um, keeps it light, which is great. Those are some names I'd keep an eye on. I think Davis is kind of a cheat on that question because he's definitely not under the radar, but I think he's going to be star for a long time. I think Davis, Davis isn't necessarily under the radar to you and me, but to maybe the casual sports fan, I don't sure. know many people. And I told my dad because Davis was doing, he used to have a tandem on Fox Saturday football with Brady Quinn. Yep, they were great. It was just what a great combo. And they were doing a Michigan and Purdue game. And I told my dad, watch this guy, Joe Davis, this young looking guy. He's going to be the next huge thing. If it's not for Fox, some network's going to swipe him away. Truly. He's really just that good. The other person, I'll give, I'll give you one more. Yeah. Another person, uh, he's a barrier guy. Uh, he's been broadcasting for the Giants radio for years now. Dave Fleming? Dave Fleming. I think yeah. Flem is Flem and Joe Davis are the, the future of where this broadcast business is going to go. I totally agree with that. Yeah, Fleming's very good. He does a good job college football as well, and he does it all. Um, Joe Davis, for our ASU listeners here, the Jail Mary. Yeah. He's the voice, and he was really young when he did that. That was actually the first game his dad was spotting for him. His That's dad awesome. spots all of his games, college football. It was the first game his dad did that was the jail Mary. So he'll remember that one forever as will devil fans. And then also when ASU took down some no name quarterback from Texas tech named Pat Mahomes. Yeah. Whatever happened to that guy. And he's somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. He's not making very much money. Um, But yeah, Kalen Balaj had like eight touchdowns and he was also on the call for that game. So Joe's been around the devils a time or two. Yeah. He has been around the devil. He knows, he knows the devils. So. So you go to ASU for four years. You you go from LA to ASU, and then straight out of ASU, you you obviously you got the opportunity to do a lot of cool things with ASU. I was in uh, back when I forget what they called it for Blaze, where it was like running the soundboard for the broadcast. Board op. Uh, board opping. Thank you. I was board opping the uh, ASU U of A game, uh, twenty eighteen. <laughs> only thing that saved me from throwing myself off the Taylor place after Michigan got stomped earlier that morning was I was thinking midway through the fourth quarter, this is the worst day of my life. Yeah. You know, we are first off, my team gets smoked by Ohio state. I have to hear this from all my Buckeye uh, fans that are uh, my friends. And now we're getting stomped by Arizona. You were there. Um, you were calling that game. So what, what do you remember from that game? So when I thought you were asking that question earlier about favorite call and I thought it was personal, yeah, there isn't a specific call that is my favorite ever, but there are moments and there are games. Yeah. That is tied for first. Um, I don't even know if you know this. Maybe you heard me complaining since you were board hopping. We're not big Arizona people. We'll put it that way. So imagine calling a football game field level. Yeah, you were. Did you know this? In, you were stuffed okay. in the corner. So yeah, you you did this. So folks, imagine and non-broadcasters won't get this as much, but the broadcasters definitely will. 
you're typically up, especially in football, it's imperative to be high. You can see the play develop better, obviously, and, and you can just it's, – it's what you need. Arizona, bless their hearts, did not have room in their press box for lowly Blaze Radio, which I get it. Like, student radio, we got put on the roof at Autzen Stadium. I'm fine with that. Like, it's high. That's great. It's, it's okay. Yeah, whatever. I, I don't mind. Be yeah, exactly. It was colder. But no, like we, we got put in bad situations at student radio. I get it, but never on the field. So backstory briefly, and then I'll get into this. I got notified by Doug Tamaro, longtime ASU SID, um, 10 days before the Territorial Cup. He called me and he said, Arizona, just let me know they're going to put you on the field. And I was like, Are you, is this a joke? And he was like, no, they're going to put you on the field. That's where they put all student radio. And I'm like, oh my God. He's like, so do you still want to do it? He's thinking I'm going to say no to broadcasting the Territorial Cup. I'm like, <laughs> You're like Come we're going to do it, Doug. We're, so keep the credentials in. So I looked at other home games Arizona had that year, and they played Cal. And the fun thing about student journalism, and you probably know this already too, is when like people travel to ASU or you travel somewhere else, all the student journalists just get along or, or yeah. you, you talk yep. to them. So the year before I had done ASU Cal men's basketball in Berkeley and I talked to their student radio guys and their student radio department, sports department had like four people. ASU's for reference has like 140. Like yes. it's dumb. So I figured they probably would be the same guys. So I reach out. I had one of the guy's numbers. I texted him. I said, Hey, did you guys broadcast at U of A this year? He said, yes, it was the worst experience ever. And I go, Oh no. I go, can you send me a picture of your vantage point? Did you take a picture? That's another thing broadcasters do all the time. He said, yeah. So he sends me a picture. I wish I still had the picture. Imagine you're sitting in the absolute corner of the visitor's side, sideline, corner of the end zone. And in the picture he sent me, Oski the Bear and Cal's cheerleaders are blocking the 50-yard line on on the far side of the field. And the guy did the game with Joe McClatchy. I showed him the picture. At first, I wasn't going to show him at all because I like wanted to hide the truth. I felt like a parent not wanting to, you know, tell yeah. a kid about Santa Claus. I'm like better not knowing. Um, eventually, I showed him the picture. I said, "This is what we're getting ourselves in." So we show up there in Tucson that day, and we had a spotter, which was completely unnecessary because what is he going to spot? None of us can see anything. So it was a very easy day for our spotter. But anyways. The game starts, like you described it, it sucks. Like, ASU's getting killed. And normally about my teams, if they're down early, I get really pessimistic, especially with ASU and especially with the Dodgers. I've been an ASU guy my whole life. My mom went to ASU, family went to ASU, so I've seen a lot of bad ASU seasons. So I expect the worst almost when it comes to ASU. This might have been the only time ever where I – wasn't pessimistic in fact i texted doug tamaro again at the start of the fourth quarter when it's 40 to 21 yep i text doug tamaro and say what's the largest comeback in territorial cup history i just had a feeling it was it was odd i just had a feeling so i had play by play in the second half and asu starts mounting their comeback and the way i called that entire game was if it was on the right side of the field i could see mostly i couldn't see yard lines but their jumbotron was right behind my right shoulder. So basically what I do is watch the play start, describe the formation that way. Cause I could see that and then call it off of the jumbotron. Wow. So it'd be difficult on some plays like third downs. Like, you know how they show like 
fans or or just have like a generic like make noise thing on the jumbotron yeah i couldn't see what was happening wow so that's how i called that entire game we both had to do it that way luckily for me arizona's final kick to end the game they missed it wide right was on our side and you know looking back on it when i look back on it 20 years from now or even now they missed that kick and we're right in front of the ASU section and the team comes right over in front of us. So we're still on the air. Joe and I are trying to talk, wrap up the game. We're both going nuts. And Manny Wilkins quarterback at the time has the territorial cup and literally has to like basically move Joe and I out of the way. We're standing and like literally puts his hand on my shoulder, like gets me out of the way so he can walk by by all the other ASU fans like we're right there and there's a picture that will be hanging whenever I get an office someday hopefully at a, at a big school or at a network or whatever it will be hanging because it's it's Manny holding the territorial cup and I'm in the background completely a true candid shout out to the sorority girls out there a true candid of me just like looking in awe just just smiling so it turned out to be okay, but I called that game from the field level in the corner. It was very, very difficult, but I'm happy with the way it turned out. It, it doesn't sound all that bad, and that was definitely the hardest broadcast I've ever done. Is that your favorite call? Honestly, no. Um, in fact, I don't love the call of the missed kick. Really? I, I, had, I had better calls in that game, in my opinion. I was so excited, and another reason why that call ended up how it did is because, again, we're field level. I sound like I'm complaining so much. I got to call a D1 football game. I should be quiet. But, I mean, since we're field level, there's fans two feet behind us. Yeah. Passionate ASU fans. Yes. So anytime anything happened, especially as the game went on, I literally had to yell, and I'm not a yeller. In, in my style of broadcasting. I don't like when people do that, but you had to if you wanted to be heard. So when the kick was missed, I literally had to say, no, good. But I had to scream it so much, my voice basically cracked. I sounded like Sean McDonough, and uh, sorry for bringing that up, but I sounded like Sean McDonough in the Michigan State-Michigan game, almost. So I don't love that call. Like, it's cool. It's, it's an awesome moment. I had better calls in that game itself. Honestly, one of my favorite calls ever goes back to high school for me and I don't even have the call anymore sadly my high school was awful at football terrible okay awful so I think my first three years my freshman year we didn't win any games we're 0 and 10 sophomore year we went one and nine junior year we went two and eight so slight improvement we're getting better senior year I started this little radio club so we we called all the games Joe and I still we went to high school together and senior year out of nowhere no reason at all same roster Start at five and zero. Oh. We're hot. We're we're beating teams. We're we're doing things. Yeah. We're five and zero oh entering homecoming week, where we play the dynasty of our region, a, a private Catholic school. Okay. We're five and zero. Oh. They're five and zero oh as well. It's homecoming. Game goes into triple overtime. I mean, it's an epic. It's a it's a classic. And there were a few calls in that game that were. I mean. One in specific time we had the ball first and our running back scores on the first play. And I 
I mean, I probably was overreacting, but I swear the press box was shaking in the high school stadium. It was sold out. Everyone was pumped. We lost in triple overtime. But that might have been my favorite call ever, actually, just because it was, like, so cool. I don't know. It was, like, my first big game to do. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, you're coming in 5-0. and You've won more games that year than in your first three years combined. So. Combined. We finished 7-3. and That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. And they've sucked ever since. Yeah, my high school was the opposite where we started out nine and one and then the last two years I think we won a combined three games and <laughs> it has taught me a lot about the art of preparation because yeah. you need when when you're blowing them out or they're blowing you out it becomes broadcasting turns from the most fun job in the world to honestly one of the toughest because then it's just it, it gets the feeling that you're talking to party guests that really don't want to be there anymore. And you're trying to figure out a way to get them to stay at your party. That's a great, great, great analogy. That's absolutely what it is. And it's so hard and no one thinks about it. <laughs> it's, just, it's so true. It's, it's brutal. Tough. It's a tough life. You have, uh, you have a podcast out. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to give you an opportunity to plug your podcast with, uh, Matt Lively is one of the great Buccaneer fans of the world and, and give him his credit for sticking with the Bucks uh, through thick and thin and congratulations that they're good now. Um, where can we find the podcast? Yes. Yeah, so the bogey broadcasters, it's, I mean, it's a fun, loose, light podcast, very conversational like this one. Try to have some good guests here and there, but yeah, Lively and I lived together our uh, sophomore years in college. Good chemistry already. We actually did bottom of the sixth together wow. on blaze radio, our freshman year. That's how we met. Um, but you can find it on all your major podcasting uh, platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Stitcher, all those, all those good things. Bogey Broadcasters. Yeah, check us out. If you like this one, you'll like ours too. Perfect. Um, so transitioning to the very last part, I do this with all my guests. I uh, told you about this before. So random questions, three things I'd like to know about Braden Bell. You ready? I'm ready. All right. What is one snack when it is in front of you? can't help yourself it's dangerous. double stuff oreos bad in fact in fact so i just started back up uh, officially going on to campus and so i moved back over uh, closer to campus and my mom as all good moms do sent sent me off with a little care package uh-huh. and i didn't even have to ask she put the oreos in there and i said this is a bad idea mom i'm trying to lose like 10 pounds and i know if i see them I'm having like five and it's not, you can't just have one. Like you have to eat five. It's just not possible. Definitely that it's bad for me. It was, uh, it's golden Oreos. Uh, Okay. Yep. For whatever reason, the vanilla, I really enjoy it. Those are delicious. My sister really likes it, but she can control herself. It got so bad in my house that my parents had to resort to hiding it in their bathroom sink, uh, to keep it away from me. Um, Okay. So, so let me ask you this then, since we're both big Oreo guys, yeah your thoughts on all of these flavors they have now just I, you like know, there's I, so many i tried the halloween ones a couple years ago i i was here or there on them the uh the christmas edition peppermint kind brayden uh very good those are good has yeah. to be one of their best the peanut butter ones not a huge fan i mean we we could have honestly i think you and i could have an own separate podcast <laughs> just on oreos we uh, could uh but it's it's interesting it it's just a plague in snacks today that people yeah. have. I saw apple pie Kit Kats and I thought, what focus group gave the check on this one? Uh, just too many, 
you know, just stick with what works, guys. Okay, I'm glad you said that because sometimes with snacks, I feel like they get off my lawn guy because I'm like, I want my Oreos how they're supposed to be. I'm fine with the vanilla. Those are really good as well. But I'm like, I don't want, like you just said, like an apple pie Kit Kat. Like, yeah, I want it normal. Like, get off my lawn. Just keep me my Kit Kat. You want to hear the most first world problem ever. You win, and you can relate to this. When you send your dad out when you're going to elementary school and middle school to get snacks before the week and you write out the list like Oreos and he comes back with like the most random Oreo flavor in the world because he just saw Oreos. He wasn't looking for the flavor because when he was growing up, there was cereal or snacks. There was no such thing as like mint flavored Lay's chips. Even worse when it's the generic Kroger brand or whatever. So I made that mistake. We're really getting off here on a tangent, but I made that mistake a couple times trying to save money, be frugal college life. I'd buy the, the store brand Safeway. Yeah. Or whatever. And I was like, yeah, these will be fine. You get like double the amount and they're cheaper and you got the vanilla, you got the chocolate. Terrible. Yeah. I've had pay the extra couple dollars. I've had Trader O's, not good. Um, <laughs> I had the Whole Foods brand of Oreos that my mom tried to sneak on me one time. How are those? I've never had those. Terrible, terrible. Wow. There's only one one kind of Oreos that's right. They're the king. Uh, second question. You ready? Yep. So, um, you're a you're a fairly tall guy. Um, but one of the things that is your hallmark is the way you style your hair. Oh boy. In fact, I've heard the way that you style your hair makes you the third largest building in California. Um, uh, so I want to hear, and this is a question for all, uh, 2018 Cronkite freshmen. What's the routine? Oh boy. Okay. Well, wait, what about 2018 Cronkite freshmen? Is this like a, is this a folklore? People want to know this or what? Yes. Yeah, oh, okay, this good. Is, right. hair has been has been discussed in many Taylor Place. You know, since we've had such a good discussion, normally this is like the the Chick Fil A recipe, like it's top secret, like mm-hmm. or the KFC recipe. I guess. Oh, it wow! Be. So we're getting exclusive here. This is a scoop. Yeah. Okay. Um, really, it's not that exciting, honestly. So out of the shower, we'll just start out of the shower because okay. everyone's on the same level out of the shower. Clean slate. Yeah, clean slate. Every man's equal, unless you're bald. Um. Sorry. Anyways, so you, you dry your hair initially, really, and, and you have the vision right now. Sorry for those of you listening. You can actually see me. So really, really aggressively dry your hair. And my hair basically goes into this now. Like it just knows. But the first part, you have to comb it. And it's still really wet at this point, but you have to comb it to how it's supposed to be, but it's still wet. And then you you do everything else, like you, you brush your teeth, obviously, all the other, you know, toiletries you have to do every day. And at that point, this is like the most exciting part. I'm going to let you down. It takes like five minutes. People think it takes an hour. It really doesn't. Quick blow dry. That's how you get it high. Okay. That's the key. Quick blow dry. And then I've, I use the best gel in the world, Layrite, the blue kind. Okay. A barber my freshman year in Arizona actually recommended it. And I- lay right yep it's firm but it, it's like they have a slogan it smells delicious as well mm-hmm. um but it's firm but it's not like waxy and it it holds and then like two sprays of hairspray so then it stays if it's windy and that's it yeah that that hairstyle has got to be the most windproof of, oh dude of the hairstyles i've seen there i can go to the beach i can go to the beach and sit there it's a breezy day and it's just 
not a single hair follicle has moved an inch. Yeah, and I, I hate to say this, but I'm, I, I kind of want to switch it. I've had it for so long, so I'm thinking about you know, changing I, things up. It, it would obviously, it would be tough to see it go. It would be crisis identity. As as tough as James Harden shaving his beard, I think. <laughs> or Brian Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Or Brian. Yes, that's a good throwback. Uh, the last question, um, and I love asking this to people from California. Mm-hmm. In and Out Burger. You go to In and Out. Do you like In and Out? You buffered. You got to. You got to say that again. Sorry. Don't worry. Uh, do you like In and Out? Love it. Gotta love In and Out. Okay. I think what a burger. What a burger's not even close. What a burger's not even close. I think what scared me is when we both buffered there. You kind of gave me a confused look when I said In and Out, and I go, "Oh no, this can't be. This can't be real." Brain's from California. He can't let me down now. Um, what do you get? What do you get from okay. that now? I mean, I'm gonna I'm a simple man when it comes down to it. Really am. I'm just going straight up with the with a number one, double double. Uh and and I've actually adapted. So when I was younger, I I had this weird thing against the the spread. Like Yeah. Cause Quiet. I think there's there's chunks of pickles in it, right? I still don't even know what's really in it, to be honest. No, I don't either. Okay. I was under the impression that there was. We both don't know, but I, I don't like pickles. It's one of the only foods I don't like. I'm okay. really not a picky eater at all. So growing up, and this really only changed like a year or two ago, I would go lettuce and ketchup only on my double-double. Obviously, you still get the cheese. Um, and I really wasn't even a big animal fry guy. But now I've switched it up. Mm-hmm. And always a chocolate shake, by the way. Always. Chocolate shake. Got to do it. There's like a... Their chocolate shakes might be the most magical part about In N Out. Yeah. There's like a hint of caramel, I swear. Like, it's so good. It's so good. It's so, I could talk about that for an hour too. Um, but yeah, so now I, I'm fine with the spread. I just get a normal a double double. Here's the catch if I have a social interaction coming up later, maybe a date, maybe I'm getting lucky and, and going on a date later or mm-hmm. hanging out with friends, no onions. Now, crucial, smart. Now, if I'm late night snack, whatever, like if I was to go there tonight, not doing anything, throw the onions on there. I'll take them. Fine with tomatoes. Give me the spread. Load it up, basically. Yeah. Fries. I don't get why they get so much hate. They're fine. I normally don't do animal style because I'm trying to limit calories a little bit. And uh, still the chocolate shake. I personally, I put a lot of pepper on my fries. Uh, Mm, I think what people don't understand is in and out is giving you the opportunity to create your own fries. Yep. You know, people are just so lazy nowadays where they think the fries are just going to come out like McDonald's where it's all scientifically GMO'd up for them. No, they're giving you a potato. They fried it for you. And now it's up to you. You want to put a lot of salt on there. You want to put pepper. You want to get a lot of ketchup. That's up to you. It's all, you know, up to your discretion. You know what? Something I love about In-N-Out as well is they don't need a big social media presence. They don't need to be cheesy. They have, I don't even think they have a Twitter. In fact, I've never found that they do. I've, yeah, I've tried to tweet at them before, like, I love you, and, and I can't find them. Um, they don't need it, but if they ever had it, they need to hit us up because we will, we will, give, us, we will give them the most praise possible, and I will fight any battle any day for that place. We, you and I will absolutely take up the mantle for In-N-Out. Yeah, Oreos and In-N-Out were Oreos clearly very healthy. Yeah. Uh, 
next time I have you on, I'll make sure that Oreos in and out sponsor uh, the podcast. <laughs> um, Braden, thank you so much. This has been a great time. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me and uh, giving my Dodgers a little credit, even though it was painful for you. Um, I had a really good time.